Welcome to the Tomorrowland Space Stage and another episode of Everything But the Movies, uh, the podcast that explores the rest of the galaxy far, far away. Uh, my name is Mitch Kreitzman alongside my co-host Jordan Kreitzman. Um, Jordan, if I'm being honest, this week uh, I pretty much jumped the shark on episode five of this podcast. Um, <laughs> but I think it's what? for good reason. Would you agree? <laughs> What do you mean? You, I mean, you, what are you this, saying right now? <laughs> the idea behind this podcast was meant to be anything that is uh, Star Wars, yeah. except for the movies. Right. Um, I think this is, you know, Star Wars inspired or Star Wars oh. adjacent at best. <laughs> yeah, so, you skipped to a season seven app. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was more that I couldn't really miss out on the chance to cover this so i i really had to right um you know before you knew what we were doing i pretty much prefaced it by saying it's possibly the craziest intersection of our interests that i've ever seen that's very Um, true yeah i mean it just lines up in a lot of different ways um so for today's episode we are talking about uh the sort of band uh halix uh, that's spelled H-A-L-Y-X. Now, for those hey, of you who... What was that? It's a band. Yeah, it's a band. <laughs> um, it's just hard to describe because it's it's te- it's sort of fictional, but it's also a real band. <laughs> hey, they rock. Oh, they rock. Don't get me wrong on that. <laughs> um, so I'll, I'll say right off the bat, for those of you who are interested in, you know, c- the kind of idea behind what we did last week, just sort of weird oddities throughout pop culture... Um, the documentary that we sort of watched in preparation for this called, uh, live from the space stage, which is all entirely free on YouTube. I would say it's definitely worth watching. Um, a lot of the information that we're talking about today is from that. And so, you know, if this is the kind of stuff that interests you, highly recommend. Um, if it's not, don't listen to this episode. (laughs) Yeah. If this (laughs) is the kind of thing that interests you, I'm surprised you're even here to begin with, but, um, So, yeah, again, I said Star Wars inspired, and that's because um, it was a a real band made up of a combination of real people and fictional characters. So everyone at the very least was wearing, like, sci-fi garb, but then some people were in actual full-on costumes playing other characters. Um, Right. And then there was the drummer. (laughs) Yes. Right. (laughs) Like the singer didn't dress up or the singer dressed up, but wasn't in character as anyone. The the main guitar player wasn't, but the bass player uh, was basically dressed as a Wookiee. Yeah. And they were basically, they were entirely willing to say he was based off a Wookiee without saying that he actually was. It was like right off the bat, they're like, we need a seven foot Wookiee. Yeah, it's fascinating. (laughs) It's like, give me Peter Mayhew, but if he can really, you know, slap that bass, man. (laughs) Um, And not have chronic health issues, that would be be ideal. (laughs) So uh, for for some background too on the band here, um, they were put together um, from a number of basically working musicians in Los Angeles, performing musicians, session musicians uh, in the early 80s. And they performed on the Tomorrowland space stage in Disneyland in the summer of 1981. And that was the only time that they were a thing in Disneyland. Um, Did you know about the stage? No, I was not familiar. It's not something that exists in Disney World, and I don't know a lot about Disneyland. 
Right. So it was not familiar. Yeah. Um, now, again, they've been described as an inter- intergalactic uh, rock band and a cross between Kiss and Star Wars, which I think definitely the pieces are there for sure. Yeah, it makes sense. I would argue, though, better than Kiss. <laughs> Actually, I think you're right. <laughs> Very talented musically. We'll we'll play some music here and talk about it, but um, just something I wanted to point out. Some proposed names they had included Strike, Starfire, and Squad. Squad spelled S-Q-W-A-D, which that seems like a 2020 ass name if I've ever heard one. Yeah. It doesn't sound like a name for 1981. And like it was... It was titled after something completely random, right? <laughs> yes, completely random. <laughs> I don't remember what it's When they was. came up with the title of Halix, it meant absolutely nothing. Everyone didn't think it was a good name, but they stuck with it. I like the name. I, I was just going to say, fun. I think it's a good name. Yeah. Uh, it feels very prog rock for, from the time. Yes, and it kind of sounds like Hey Lynn. So right. You got that going for you. <laughs> it, it's like if you mixed... Uh, Halen and Syrinx, like from 2112. Yeah. Yeah, that's what it's, they're it's all going there. for, for sure. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's a mix of human, robot, and alien performers, uh, consisting of, first off, Laura Mumford, the lead singer, who, I mean, really was the, the breakout star from this right. set of performances. I mean, she was yeah. incredible. Mm-hmm. Um, there's Roger Freeland, who was the bassist in the quote-unquote Wookiee costume, uh, and apparently his name... His character's name that he gave himself was Baharnath, uh, which is, that's fun. I like that. Yeah, good time. Um, there, there was Tom Miller, who was the keyboardist, and he was basically put in this, like, rig where he was in a robot costume, and it was like a, a robot thing surrounding him. Yeah. Um, he was deemed by the fans to either be called Moat Relim or Beethoven from Space, depending on who you talk to. <laughs> Beethoven from Space, not super clever, I will say. <laughs> Um, so you had, you also had Tony Coppola, who was a percussionist, not the drummer, but just like an added percussionist. He was an acrobat as well. Uh, they kind of wanted to bring that performative aspect. I mean, you're performing at Disneyland. You kind of need that. Um, Right. And he was briefly named after a British slur. I was just going to (laughs) say he's in an amphibian costume. He's an alien character. He was originally named the Wog, W-A-A-G, and then they realized it was a racial slur in England, so they had to change it. That's To me, that's just insane that they got that far, that it was an established name before they found that out. Yeah. <laughs> and then from there, you, you just had a few other musicians, Bruce Gowdy, the guitarist, Brian Lucas, the drummer, so... And then uh, Jeanette Klinger, who's a backup singer. So The guitarist playing- seems like a fun guy. Oh, He's 100% a fun agree. <laughs> um, and then it was the drummer that was married to Laura Mumford, right? The singer? Yeah, he's an interesting one. <laughs> well, and her story is so interesting, too, because the, the whole idea here was, like, on top of the performances they were doing in Disneyland, they also technically had a record deal signed with Disneyland Records, who yeah. was in conjunction with Warner Music Group, which is obviously a you know a huge label, right. and they had recorded all these demos and everything kind of fell apart. But um, of like the people that were attached to the project, Laura Mumford was kind of the most attached in terms of her contract. Right. And so when things fell through, she literally just like left her husband and just like went off to nowhere. And Gave he was him money like, and then just left. Yeah, he was and like, he like all right. Was, he was like real chill about it. <laughs> 
he was like, yeah. And then she just, you know, left. Uh, and I was like, you good? <laughs> but I, I think really the, the big thing to, to talk about here is that if, if it was just people in costume pretending to play instruments, this would not be something to talk about. Right. The fact that it was talented, like working musicians before this ever started. Yeah. Um, and the fact that there's such like an equal amount of focus given to the musicianship as there is to like actually putting on a show. Right. Is very surprising. Like it's not really something you're ever going to see in a theme park. And the fact right. that they're like original songs that they wrote for this, like <laughs> yeah. it's incredible. It all took place over one summer. <laughs> Right, exactly. And like they managed to find one fan for the documentary. <laughs> yes, I can't believe they only found one. Well, I, so at the very end of the documentary, you know, shout out to friends of the pod, Podcast The Ride. I they was know shocked us. by that. We're I'm friends. Sh- I'm sure you knew about that because I, I haven't listened to that in a while, but yes, I yeah. was like, whoa. <laughs> I know. I was surprised. I was I was a bit surprised. I don't know if they were actually in it, but I did hear them talking about the documentary. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's just such like an interesting forgotten relic of its time. Like the music is so, so much of its era. Like the fact that they're mm-hmm. doing like a Star Wars ripoff is so funny yeah. to look at Disney doing that now. Like there's just so many things about it that are absolutely crazy. But the absolute um, best part is that when they talk to all the musicians, <laughs> their their attitude towards it is just like, especially like, the drummer, I think, he's just like, yeah, it was the end of the summer, and we were glad it's done, and <laughs> yeah, we left. <laughs> right, like <laughs> they, they were all, all just like, well, <laughs> yeah. Th- that was pretty much the thing. It was like they all enjoyed doing it, and then they were like, all right, see ya. <laughs> oh. Yeah, all of them were just like, just did not particularly care. So it was hilarious, right? I, I want to talk a little bit more about the the demos that ended up falling through because okay. um, this is very much connected to our former short-lived podcast, which you may you may remember why. Um, these demos were produced fully by Mike Post. Um, yes. Now, Mike Post, he, they talk about it in the documentary. He was really primarily known for doing television themes. So right. the Law and Order theme, the Dun Dun, as well mm-hmm. as the actual theme, he wrote that, produced it. What a genius! Uh, he did Greatest American <laughs> Hero. Um, by extension, he did uh, George Costanza's voicemail. Uh, <laughs> believe it or not, hey, I am not home. Yeah. Leave your name at the beep. <laughs> yeah, and then at what I'm not sure if you remember or not, Jordan, is that he produced Van Halen three. Oh, that's that's right. That so I knew the name and I remember us talking yes. about it, but I didn't remember for what album. Th- that is how he was connected to our former podcast. <laughs> is that he also down the road from this produced Van Halen the three, first, the first podcast episode we ever recorded. Yes, so I thought that was a very fun connection. Right in, in the archives, Mitch uh, Jordan. I thought what we would, <laughs> I thought what we would do, sort of given that context. Um, is for the people out there who are you know interested in knowing about this, but maybe don't want to go and watch the documentary. Uh, I I picked out three songs that they had performed during the summer um, that I thought I would play a bit of a clip of that we could then talk about a little bit, sort of see uh, what we think about it. Um, I'm going to start with what seems to have been considered their intro song. Um, so the the first song here is uh, is called Lightning. I'm going to play a little bit of it. 
so that was a little bit of lightning for you guys. And look, I mean, Jordan, that shreds, right? <laughs> uh, yeah, those like Van Halen harmonics right up top. It sounds just like an old Van Halen concert of all the videos I used to watch, just because mostly just because it's like '80s audio. But well, yeah. Um, so that was that's what's so that's what's so fun about going back and trying to find this stuff is that it's like one step even below bootleg. Like, yeah, it's not good quality at all. But you can still well, that, like you can still get a lot for what they were doing just from these videos. That is funny you say that because there was a moment during the documentary where um, Laura was it. Yeah. Yeah, where Laura was like talking and I swear she was gonna be like, We're gonna do a song for you called Garden Road. Yeah. <laughs> truly like it's, <laughs> it's lower quality than some of those old seventies bootlegs we have, which the fact that like Disneyland Records never released those demos, like that kind of stuff, it's so crazy to me. But um you you already touched on it a little bit, but when I was going back and listening to these songs after watching the documentary I was like kicking myself trying to pinpoint what this sounded like to me, like the band that it sounded like. Yeah. And I think what is so impressive about this is that I don't think they're a carbon copy of anything. Like I think you can pinpoint multiple things to be like, oh, that sounds like this, that sounds like this. But ultimately, there's not anything that sticks out that's like, oh, they're directly ripping off this. Right. Like this song alone to me, is like more interesting than most Kiss songs. Yeah, those keyboards up top, Mitch. Right. Some solid notes. Right. So you get like that, you get that heavy synth there at the beginning. You get like the fun sci-fi sound effects. And you you already said it, the guitar sound is great. Like it yeah. reminded me a lot of Eddie Van Halen. Yeah, talented guy. Which I mean, you know, a working guitarist in you know, late seventies, early eighties in LA. Not necessarily surprising yeah. that he's trying <laughs> to emulate trying Eddie to. Van Halen, but <laughs> It's impressive nonetheless. Yeah. Um, and at one point, one of the things that I was more most closely reminded of for what this band was to me was Heart. Um, yeah. The, the, the lead singer's voice is just really impressive, and I was right. that's what I was reminded of, along with the amazing harmonies that are in the chorus of this song right. um, with the backup singer. They're, they just really hit those notes. It's impressive. <laughs> um, so, I mean, Jordan, uh, just off this song alone can i get a hell yeah mitch hell yeah <laughs> right like rock on halix mitch <laughs> yes for like a band that basically never existed it's <laughs> for really that impressive was one step away from a fever dream <laughs> yeah that like that's what i'm saying like if there weren't multiple people corroborating it i would convince i would not be convinced it was real <laughs> yeah if mike post wasn't like yeah i was involved with this <laughs> Right. It would make you wonder <laughs> if it was some sort of combined illusion somehow. Um, yeah, like any UFO sighting or something. Yeah. Um, so, Jordan, we're going to talk a little bit about now about song two. Um, song two is called Hey There, Boys. Um, oh, yeah. This one's a little bit more... Um, a little bit more like soft kind of shows off Laura's skills a little more. Mm-hmm. So let's uh, let's play a little bit of that one.
So that was a little bit of Hey There Boys from Halix. And uh, Jordan, I think this song is what gave me the reminder of what they most closely resembled for me. Um, I think the guitar sound is better than than this band, mm-hmm. um, but they reminded me a lot of Europe. Do you know who Europe is? Yeah. Yeah, so they do the final countdown. Yeah. <laughs> they did every song in the Hot Rod soundtrack, most notably for me. Um, that was some, there's something that's like, yeah, it's like, like the scales they're using or something, or the yeah, and there, there's something like kind of like self, so it's like self serious and operatic about it, but like in a good way. Yeah, it's very interesting. But um, this song also reminds me of like sort of a more like sinister version of "Women in Love" by Van Halen. Right. Um, <laughs> just something that's like very. It, it's not like super. It it's soft, but it's not like um. It's not like a super soft ballad or anything mm-hmm. like it sort of uses that softness more to its advantage um yeah they, they kick into higher gear later in the song too yeah. I think. yeah and like again the harmonies on this are just incredible um yeah. this song is like five and a half minutes and there's like a 90 second long bass solo in the middle of it like <laughs> they they just jam <laughs> like i can't i can't imagine a world where a band like this is playing in Disneyland. Like yeah, it's just it insane to me. It doesn't happen. Um it's it's a time that part of me yearns for when we talk about Disney theme parks. Um leaps yeah. like this are something they will never be willing to make again. But look I mean, look at what came of it. They did have that one song though. <laughs> well, that's the last song that I picked. Okay, that's why I didn't mention it. <laughs> um Yeah, and well I'll I'll give a little bit of context for it. Um, so the, <laughs> I don't even like, there's no preface I can give that really explains it. Again, um, this never would happen in no, <laughs> modern anything, let alone modern fair, Disney. <laughs> so the, so the, the song was, uh, written by a woman who they basically bought the licensing off of for the use of this purpose. Right. Um, and when they bought it, like her agent told her or whatever, and she was like, like that's the one they wanted like are you sure like they want that song and like <laughs> the lyrics were eventually changed i believe is what they say in the movie but yeah jordan the song is called jailbait <laughs> <laughs> yeah we're not talking the aerosmith version this is no um <laughs> and there's really one. there's really no context to explain that <laughs> Actually, my favorite thing about why she wrote it, she was like, yeah, so at the time there was this new law that said you couldn't date people younger than 18. Yeah, she's like, there was this crazy new thing called statutory rape, and I just wanted to write a song about it. It was wacky. Yeah, and like, I I appreciate her hindsight in the documentary to be like, yeah, I really shouldn't have written that. <laughs> but then but hey, Disney, Disney it. paid me for it. Yeah, it's so bizarre. Um, but yeah, let, let's play, let's play a minute or two here of, uh, of jailbait, which I think if, you know, uh, subject of the song aside, I do think like this proves like their marketability as a band and not just like a gimmick, but we'll, we'll talk about it.
Jordan, that's that's an early '80s like hard rock hit. <laughs> yeah, the guitar's on point again. Again, this one reminded me like it's a little bit little guitars. It's a little bit Panama. Yeah, there's yeah, a I lot. Agree. I mean, which is funny because those songs came out later. But <laughs> regardless, um, wait a minute. <laughs> I think this. I think these three songs combined, especially this one, proved to me that like. Every musician performing here, like, deserved some kind of spot somewhere. Like, they're putting in yeah. work. Like, they're very yeah. talented. Yeah. I mean, that one guy in the Wookiee suit, that was hot, bitch. Oh, my gosh. Hot I mean, a suit. guy performing in a California summer in a Wookiee costume. Yeah. Not only that, like, those hot spotlights you get on you on the stage. Like, there's a lot going on there. Yeah. That guy deserved to be put in a big band. <laughs> it Agreed. Very Nailed impressive. It. Um, I wish they were just, they would have just kept as a band. <laughs> honestly. Could have made some good stuff. I agree. I mean, <laughs> and that's what's so funny. Like, the the uh, subject matter of the songs is in no way connected to, like, the theming of the band itself. No. <laughs> I think they literally just wanted something to put into Tomorrowland. So they had them dress up yeah. as something Tomorrowland-ish. And we're like, all right, just kind of perform whatever. Um, that is a good point. They didn't, I don't think any of their songs were any themed to uh, Tomorrowland. No, and th- that's um, kind of what I love about it that much more. It's like, but <laughs> the fact that they're sort of an alien band really has no bearing on the music itself. Yeah, it's like, we're an alien band, but what, we have to sing about aliens? <laughs> no, no we're just some aliens yeah. that want to sing rock and roll. Right, exactly. <laughs> um, and like this this song is just like further proof that like Laura Mumford, the singer, like really makes this band what it is. I mean, the musicians yeah. are super talented, but she's just next level. Um and not only that, Jordan, these are these are not like studio demos. These are like shoddy recordings of just random live performances. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah, I would, wish I wish we could have heard the actual record they recorded. That's what I'm saying. Like these demos need to come out. Like yeah. enough enough about release the Snyder cut. Release the Halix demos. That's what I say. <laughs> yeah. Um, are we still talking about the Snyder cut? People still doing that? I think people are still talking about the Snyder cut. God, I don't know guys, how. It's not gonna get much better. <laughs> no, <laughs> I don't I'm sorry. <laughs> I don't even really know the context of the Snyder cut other than uh Zack Snyder was like Guys, like the one I wanted to put out was so much better, and <laughs> yeah. everyone just believed him. I guess like, I don't okay, know. Okay, release it. And he's like, uh, "Can I do that?" <laughs> Guys, they won't let me. I mean, I promise it's like oh, so much better. So tough. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, Jordan, it, it's it's so funny that this was in Disneyland being performed in front of children. A song called Jailbait. Yeah, and it's not but- hiding its subject matter at all. It's very no. it's very clearly saying, "I want you, but you're jailbait." Like, yeah, it's and all the written there. It's so it's, it's all, all written for a fifteen-year-old, and that's just—it's <laughs> crazy. It's just insane that that landed in the parks. But yes, but I one love good, it. One good thing, Mitch. They they did a killer uh, version of Beatles anytime at all. Was, yes, they they do good covers. Agreed. <laughs> I never heard that cover by anyone. That's the thing. Like, not only were they doing really good original songs. They weren't just picking covers that would please a theme park audience. Like, in right. what world does this ever happen again? It doesn't. Um, no, no, everything, 
it couldn't happen today. You're right. No, absolutely not. Um, and you know, Jordan, maybe in the next, uh, maybe in the next episode of Everything But the Movies, we'll talk about hyperspace hoopla. Are you familiar with this? <laughs> no. <laughs> I bel- I want to say it. It took place in Hollywood studios for about a decade. Um, this one is not Star Wars adjacent. It is Star Wars. Um, but it's basically them doing like choreographed lip syncs to popular songs of the time. It's garbage. Um, (laughs) and it's just so crazy that not 30 years prior, they were having to rip off star Wars in the coolest way possible. (laughs) Um, Jordan, before we wrap up here, I want to just, uh, do some final thoughts here on on Halix and sort of place it in our pantheon of, stuff that's not the movies or even compare it to the movies if we want for that matter um so i mean for for me here's the thing these are three really solid songs and that's just sort of the tip of the iceberg there's about six or seven more you can find on youtube that are solid quality um and and to me it's like are they aerosmith are they heart are they van halen are they europe they're none of those things they're like they take they're Halix. They take some from here, some from there, but they are ultimately doing their own thing. And that's what's so cool about this. In terms yeah. of where I place it in the pantheon of Star Wars lore, both canon and extended universe, um, now, it is going to get deducted some points for the fact that it's a ripoff. I, I think, you know, we have to acknowledge that it's not technically <laughs> either of those things. Mitch, I can't even tell you how much I would bow down to John Favreau forever <laughs> if Halix got a bit part in season two of The Mandalorian. <laughs> you know, I think this documentary is creating a bit of a resurgence. If it if it gets enough headway, I think they'd be willing to and put it in the canon. That's, yeah, I he's mean, already bringing back uh, what's her face, <laughs> Ahsoka Tano. Yeah, yeah. I think Clone Wars is still canon anyway, to be fair. It is, but that's just an interesting thing. I never yeah, thought no, he would I agree. do that. I agree. So, I mean, let's um, just, you know, you got to go up about eight levels out to get to Halix. But <laughs> maybe by season six, we'll, we'll find out. They go to Kashyyyk, right? <laughs> Kashyyyk, right. the Wookiee homeland. One of the Wookiees starts a band. <laughs> and that, that Wookiee's name is Baharnath. <laughs> yes, and he has a really annoying, terrifying-looking frog. <laughs> Yes. Percussionist. <laughs> Named after an English racial slur. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, the fact that it's not technically canon or extended universe as of, you know, September 1st, 2020, this recording, who knows when it'll happen, but... Disney, uh, do the right thing. It's canon. Yes. Release <laughs> the Halix demos. Give me a break. Um, but that said, um, you know, it also gets a little bit of a deduction because... The theming in their appearance is very much Star Wars, but that's about where it ends. Um, but again, I don't really care. Like, I'm cool with that. Yeah. Um, no, is it, it better than Rise of Skywalker? Yes. Yes. <laughs> is Halix better than Force Awakens? Yeah. <laughs> well. Is it better than Last I Jedi? Think it's a tie. That's where I'll draw the line. Um, <laughs> now, I mean, I stand by that. I think um, you're not far off, if anything. No, I mean, there's yeah. there's just a lot of interesting stuff going on here. A, lo- a lot of theme park and 
rock history that I wish had been better preserved because it's it's just fascinating. Yeah, and like you said, there's Star Wars adjacent without relying on it at all. Right. They could have gone it, out there and... It makes you wonder why they even did that. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. So Jordan, before we wrap up, I want to hear your final thoughts on, on Halix from, from the documentary and the songs we listened okay. to. Okay, yeah, a couple things, because I didn't know quite how this... Um, this episode was going to go, so I took some notes along the for way sure. for the documentary. I only have a few, just a funny, just a few things that cracked me up. Um, one was a mention of uh, Disney's Black Hole movie <laughs> that I had not seen much of that. The second, uh, I'm surprised we didn't get all into uh, what apparently was a big craze of Mickey Mouse disco. <laughs> yes, that's right. There, like It's the whole reason Disneyland Records was even a thing when Halix came around. Yeah, was like because that, of Mickey disco. That put them on the map, right? Um, and um, it, it, they're, they're even like advertising as far as a Mickey's all grown up and gone disco. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> it's like, what? Grown up? What's that? He was always an adult, I thought. And at one point, they show like, yeah, cut scenes of like newspapers of like Disney's moving them hips or whatever, like doing like, it was just a very funny, like, uh, something you'd see in like any music documentary of like rave reviews. It's just, right. It was yes. funny to see it being about Mickey doing disco. But, and that's, that's funny too, because I think, I think at some point we definitely could use our Epcot podcast to talk about some different iterations of Mickey, including, right. Uh, early Epcot Mickey, where he's basically wearing like some sort of weird version of a spacesuit. Very cool. <laughs> Love it. Uh, let's see. Um, at one point, someone said something like they didn't really understand it, like it was jive. That sounds racist. <laughs> yeah. I think I think the reason that it does is because of airplane, right? You remember that in airplane? Yeah. Well, that's what I'm thinking. So yeah, I, I when don't the old really... lady says she speaks jive, very yeah. uh the whole thing feels racist, but yes, anyway. I, that's fair. Uh, um let me see what else I got. Um Oh, one of my favorite things was when uh um Mike Post sits there um trying to figure out the word halix. Yes. And he's like, what is Halix? Kiss my Halix? Suck my Calix? Halix? I don't get it. Like, he only thought of body parts for the word Halix. He's like, look, if it's not named anything related to a penis or a butt, I don't understand what's going on. Look, it's not penis related. It's not butt related. Get it out of here. <laughs> um. Yeah, other than that, I don't have much else. Like I said, the guitar players seem fun. The keyboardist kind of had a lisp. Thought that was kind of funny. Um, by the way, they mentioned something called "Switched on Bach," which um, I feel yes. like was played in a number of movies in the '80s. I feel like I I could recognize it, like it was in the background of some things. But ultimately, it sounds like kind of a cool record. Yeah, that's actually that's a very good point. I, I forgot that I wanted to go back and listen to that after they had talked about it. And Mitch, we didn't mention Laura's just really sad ending about she just became a waitress and then yeah ultimately her only back into Disney was singing about Ducks Dance too. That's right. Oh, such and a then bummer. she died. So yeah, and then she passed away. Yeah, it really was not. I mean, you know, it's not like they wrote the ending, so I can't blame them. But still, is sad that it had to end that way. And then my final thing is the guitarist simply wanted to keep the jacket, and Disney said no. It costs ten thousand dollars. <laughs> 
You know, I'm glad that's what we ended on, Jordan. <laughs> I just wanted people to be aware. <laughs> they wouldn't even let him keep that. Now it's nowhere. <laughs> right. It's not like Disney was ever going to do anything with it, but they still were adamant about keeping it. Um, so yeah, I would highly recommend to those of you out there who were really interested by any of this conversation to go and check that out. Um, or at least go and check out a few of those songs off of YouTube. I think it's, I think it's a really fun relic of its time. Something that Mm. you just won't ever see again, you know? Um, so yeah, highly recommend. Um, so uh, that's going to be it for us this week. Uh, next week, you can expect a grab bag from us. We don't know what we're going to do yet. Uh, it's our week designated for whatever we feel like. Um, now, until then, uh, if you enjoyed this episode or any of the episodes, really, even like part of a single episode, uh, go ahead and rate and review wherever you're uh, getting your podcast and subscribe. If you liked one word we said, go ahead and give it five stars and then forget yeah, like the if, rest if of the If we even had one opinion that you agreed with at one point, like please tell your friends about us. You, you don't have to tell them you've liked everything. Like You can say it like that. That's fine. Uh, we are at Any Ideas Podcast on Twitter, Any Ideas on Facebook, and the Any Ideas Pod at gmail.com. Uh, throw us a line if you feel like it, I guess. I don't know. That's it. Um, drop us one of those lines. Yeah. Drop us a line, I <laughs> think us, is what I meant to say. Whip us up your line. Whip, whip, whip it. Whip a line over. <laughs> 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 whip, whip a line uh, whip, whip it on over um, the the theme this week is Duel of the Fates uh, by Galactic Empire uh, and, and until next time remember uh, Law and Order, Van Halen and Disneyland are all connected by one magical glorious man <laughs>